podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Uh, the Wuhan Open qualifiers. Oh, by the way, I say right, right from the off, this will be a short episode. We've not had many emails, and that's fine. You know, people uh, maybe coming towards the end of summer have got other things to think about. Uh, but uh, yes, the Wuhan Open qualifiers uh, are underway. And uh, so here's what happened on Friday. I was supposed to, and this is a little window into my life. I was supposed to go and see the, the new Equalizer film. You know, we all like Denzel Washington. Uh, but at the cinema, unfortunately, the screen wasn't working. <laughs> so the film was not not shown. So I came home. I thought, I'm going to watch the snooker for a couple of hours. And uh, I, I've got the following observations to make. The first thing is, what a fantastic service Discovery Plus is for those that have it. Um, I know it's not available everywhere in the world, but, you know, the qualifiers used to be so anonymous. Unless you actually went along to them, you couldn't really follow them. You'd, you'd sort of, in the back, back in the old days, you'd get sort of, you know, semi-regular updates on CFAX and then sort of later... Global Snooker Centre, obviously snooker.org. Uh, eventually there was live scoring. But now you can watch it all. You can watch all four tables, you can flick between them, and it's fantastic. Really, really good. And uh, full disclosure, I know I work for uh, Eurosport, which is part of Discovery, but it's nothing to do with that. I pay my own money for it, and it's a really good service. But it brought home to me the Neil Robertson 900 Centuries. Uh, he made his 900th century, and a brilliant achievement for him. Um, but it brought home to me the fact that there's no commentary on the qualifying really does take something away from it. I mean, that that break was an historic moment for him. It was a big moment for him and the sport in general, fourth man to get to 900. But watching at home, you would not have known because there was no one to tell you. So unless you're based in Anorak, you would not have known the significance of the break. You would have admired the break. It won in the match, 1-3-7, last frame against Ryan Thomason. But you would not have known that that was his nine of the century. Um, and it's a bit of a shame. I'm not saying you could put commentary on every table, but I think if you had it on the main table, the commentator could then also update from the other tables, explain the significance of some of the results, and just basically keep it going. A year ago, I said on the podcast before, myself and Phil Yates, we actually put a proposal in to World Snooker, and I should say it wasn't for us to commentate on everything. It was actually one of the one of the points we made in it is that it would be an opportunity if they had commentary on the qualifying, to find new commentators, to find new voices. And that's something we were prepared to, to help them do. But anyway, we, we sort of flagged up the potential and the benefits of having commentary because it gave us an opportunity, or gave World Snooker an opportunity, I should say, to promote their other events, do ticket deals. And when we did it at the UK Championship, so they trialled it and the board took it seriously and that we trialled it at the UK Championship, it was a massive success. The figures were actually bigger than for the World Championship uh, Judgment Day. And I met a man in Hull who'd come from Canada, who'd heard us talking about the Tour Championship, what a great event it was, and he bought tickets, came over from Canada. Um, and I know that the ticket sales that week did spike as well, so it definitely worked. But these things, of course, incur a cost, and they have to evaluate what they want to spend their money on and not spend the money on and at the moment this is not a priority I just think it's a bit of a, a waste wasted opportunity because there's some big hitters in these qualifiers and there's all sorts happening I mean the Karen Wilson finish to his match um, was extraordinary I mean I won't go through it now but if you saw it you'll know what I mean and so many little incidents and, and interesting things happening that, you know we shouldn't think that the qualifiers are just separate from the main events these are part of the main events they feed into them and so many of these players, of course, we're going to see down the line in other tournaments. And, you know, they need building up and people need to know about them. Who are they? What have they done? How do they get on the tour? 
I think snooker actually the actual game at the moment is in an exciting place. There's some really interesting new players. A lot of them are dangerous um, and capable, maybe, of turning over the sort of established order. But at the moment, it's all just a bit anonymous and soulless, and it's a shame. I think I think that you know, you've got the Championship League, which is run by Matchroom. They make an effort with production there. We do commentary on Table One. Table Two is uh, free on YouTube. We interview the group winner every day if if we can. Sometimes they've already won, like the the winner of the group has won before the last match and may have left. There are times when they may not speak English or or not enough to sort of put them through it. But in a, in a, essentially, you know, it's a proper production. Whereas the qualifiers, it's great you can watch them, obviously, but it's not. More could be made of them, put it that way. More could be made of them. Why not hear, hear some interviews from some of the players and just treat it as what it is, what was it should be, which is part of the main event. You know, the, it's round one of the Wuhan Open. Um, and, you know, there's some big names there. Mark Selby went past Stephen Hendry's centuries tally. There's lots of other things happening. Um, I don't really see why more can't be made of it. That's and, and again, people will sort of suggest that it's self-interest. I, I have no wish to commentate on every day of qualifying. It's not about that. It's not about that. It's about trying to build the event up. And now we've got this platform on Discovery Plus. Will Snooker present them with the, with the world feed? But most world feed in most sports has commentary on it. Very rare that you you just get a sort of you know the sport going out without anybody voicing it. So I definitely think it's something. That needs to be looked at because um, cause it's great viewing. I watched it for a couple of hours on Friday morning and it was fantastic. <laughs> I know I don't need to tell people listening to this podcast how great Snooker is to watch, but it really was good viewing, jumping between the matches and trying to sort of catch the drama that was going on. Let's get stuck into the emails. Arthur Bonzi, he's back from the wrestling. Three questions as ever. Uh, he says, thanks for the podcast. The only thing worth waking up for on a Monday morning. Well... <laughs> Okay, thank you. He says, three quick questions. Reviewing Nuremberg and previewing Shanghai. Number one, is Barry Hawkins' European Masters triumph proof that sometimes nice guys do finish first? Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, Barry, you know, Barry's a nice guy. Um, you don't really get uh, ranking points for that. And very often in sport, and snooker is a good example, the, the very best players have sort of left, let's put it this way, have left their niceness to one side, I mean, they, the likes of Davis and Hendry, I know Sullivan actually, very ruthless, you know, at their peak. All about them, all about them, and that's all that mattered. Um, and then you see them later in life, I mean, Hendry now is the life and soul. Um, Steve's off doing his music, etc., etc. But, yeah, I mean, you look at Stuart Bingham winning the World Championship was another example of just a, a nice bloke doing well. So I think what some people have sort of, said about Hawkins before is maybe he's lacked a bit of killer instinct um, but he didn't in Nuremberg he was brilliant uh, number two doesn't it make a nice change for players to play in front of fully engaged audiences without phones going off or drunk shouting nonsense well we did say last week it's this sort of different culture in Germany they're there for the snooker and yeah it's a nice environment for sure um, but every culture is different I mean some people like the more rowdy sort of um, feel of the, of the Alexandra Palace for the Masters, for example. Not everyone does, but some people do. And number three from Alpha, not knowing a lot about the four young Chinese invites to Shanghai, which one has the potential to make it furthest in the game? Could it be Bai Yu Lu striking a blow for the women's game? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about them either yet. Obviously, I'll look into them before the event begins. Bai Yu Lu seems to be a terrific talent. Um, she, uh, you know, she looks good and uh, be interesting. I mean, I think they're making the draw the day before in terms of who the wildcards are actually playing so we won't know until I guess the official opening ceremony but I'm looking forward to seeing her and how the other players 
get on because of course a lot of the Chinese players who became established on tour, including Ding actually, started out as wild cards. It was, um, I suppose, one advantage they did have. I mean, there's a lot of disadvantages uh, coming from a, a country that's miles away from the sort of centre of the sport, which obviously is, is Britain. Um, but Ding, I first saw when he was 14, he played Mark Selby actually, who was a teenager himself at the China Open in Shanghai 2002. Took a couple of frames off him. Um, and that was our first sort of sighting of him. So it'd be interesting to see some of these other guys. Uh, let's uh, move on to some of the other emails. Nigel. Sorry, not Nigel. Neil. <laughs> Neil. Thanks for keeping the snooker pod going. It's great. Thank you, Neil. Two questions. Having looked at the WST site, and then he says crack of thunder and lightning, I can't see any Gibraltar open on the fixture list. Is it coming back? I suspect, Neil, the answer to that is no. It wasn't on last season either. I don't know the, the ins and outs of that, but, um, yeah, I think it's a bit of a shame because I, I, I quite like those short tournaments, you know, three days, just get everything played quickly, get out of place, you know, and obviously Robert Milkins enjoyed it because he uh, had, the, had his big breakthrough there. So, Neil says, second, my girlfriend and I are big Judd Trump fans, but having watched Snooker for a long time, does he not have the killer instinct to win more big ones? Would linking up with Stephen Hendry be a good route to instil fear in others? Um, well, there's two separate things there. I mean, linking up with Stephen Hendry, that would be that would be an interesting um, arrangement, certainly. I don't know um, whether Stephen would sort of want to work with other players or not, but that would be... Certainly, if, if people knew you had him on, on your side, that would certainly be an advantage. I don't agree that Trump lacks the killer instinct at all. I think he's... Um, you know, you look at all those tournaments he won in that in that three year spell. He won fourteen ranking events in three seasons. Incredible. Um, and, and included in that was the Masters, where he beat Ronnie O'Sullivan ten four in the final, and the World Championship, where he beat John Higgins eighteen nine in the final. You know, two the two best players of the you know of that era that, that sort of last thirty years he beat. So, and he beat them well. He he, he hammered them actually. Um, so I don't agree that Trump lacks the killer instinct. What I do feel has happened, though, um, in in sort of the last couple of years, is he won so many titles. The minute there was a sort of dip in that, and I suppose a dip was inevitable. I think he lost a bit of confidence. Now, from his performances in Germany, the confidence seemed to return. He didn't play his best in the final, but he played well in that tournament. And I I suspect we're going to see Trump, you know, a lot this season contending contending for titles. Uh, and next up on our email list, we've got uh, John. Uh, yeah, John in Bishop Stortford. Now, of course, I kind of started this myself in a way, this, this crucible, latest crucible story, because I've been to see Barry Hearn a month ago and came away with the impression that the crucible's days are probably numbered. John said, uh, I hope you're well as ever. Just listened to your latest basketball episode for the second time this week, doing my usual household chores, and wanted to write in, encouraged by the reassurance that you even welcome wrong opinions. If I may start with fact-checking your claim that there isn't any theatre in the UK with a seated capacity of over 3,000, I believe the Edinburgh Playhouse and Apollo London Theatres have a capacity of over 3,000. As a similar question came up in a recent pub quiz, which stuck in my mind. I think the problem with this, John, is that there's different Apollo theatres, but I googled this, and I mean, I can only go off what, what, what's on the uh, internet. The capacity, the largest capacity for an Apollo theatre I could find was 2,300. So, I don't know, that, that pub quiz uh, potentially, well, it sounds like it's mild controversy. But I did also Google the Edinburgh Playhouse, and 
it's according to Google, it has a capacity of three thousand and fifty-six seats. So you're quite right, there is one. Anyway, uh, we move on. John says Barry Hearn and Co. seem to have inc- seem to be increasingly putting the blame at the door of Sheffield City Council when the inevitable day comes when the World Snooker Championship will be moved away from the Crucible. I don't live in Sheffield, though I've attended the Crucible most years since my first visit in nineteen ninety-nine. For anyone who takes a walk around the city outside of Tudor Square. It's clearly not a wealthy city, and whilst everyone is very friendly and welcoming, there are areas of deprivation where money will be far better spent than rebuilding the Crucible or building a new venue entirely. I don't work for a council or any similar organisation, though I can see both sides of most issues, and as much as I love snooker, I struggle to see the case for Sheffield City Council to invest to keep the worlds there, even with the boost to the local economy it brings. I feel someone should stick up for the council and see it from their side, even if I take some flat for doing so. Well, just on that, John, I mean, you're quite right. I think, you know, obviously there's always going to be other areas you can spend money on. Um, it, the, the one thing that sort of hasn't been talked about really is a partnership between the council and World Snooker. World Snooker, you know, it may be in their interest to put money into a new venue and then it may be a goer, but there doesn't seem to be any sign of that so far. Uh, John's second point, that leads to your question, where will it go? I've had a long think about this question. I'm completely open to it moving overseas at some point in the future, though given most of the players are British and UK-based, I believe it should stay here for the foreseeable future. However, if there's a true shift towards it becoming a global sport with an influx of players from other countries, I'm open to the idea of the world's being hosted there. The only suggestion I'm totally against is moving it to Saudi Arabia, which has no snooker history, no players on the tour, and far away from its core fan base. WST are even considering it. They must look at what's happening in golf with the Live Tour and understand the toxic impact it will likely have on snooker. So to the big reveal, where should it go? I'm a diehard Crucible fan and always will be. Though if it has to move to a larger venue, my suggestion would be the Royal Opera House in London, which I believe has a capacity of approximately 2,200 seats, with some historical prestige. I hope the worlds will almost always remain at the Crucible, though I've accepted for some time it's unlikely to do so. Yeah, I mean, I've been to the Royal Opera House. It's an extraordinary building, um, right in the centre of London. Um, very imposing place. I mean, you walk in, you feel, you know, like like all eyes are on you if you're wearing a pair of trainers. I mean, it's a very sort of, you know, it's a very well-to-do... It's the Royal Opera House, after all. Um, I, I've, ne- I, I, I've, I've been, I've never seen anything there. I've only ever been, I've met people there and whatever and, and had a drink there. So I've never been in the sort of the main arena. So I don't know how, how um, appropriate it would be for snooker, um, whether it would work or not. But it's, it's, it's certainly a... It, Put it this way, if it went to the Royal Opera House, that would be a venue that would attract a lot of attention. And John concludes, on a final note, having started listening to your podcast last winter, a fortnight ago I made the bold decision to purchase annual access to Discovery Plus for fifty nine ninety nine to watch many more snooker tournaments. And after the European Masters, I can safely say I believe it to be money well spent. I doubt you're on commission. But I wanted to let you know anyway. Well, thanks, John. I'm not on commission. I genuinely think it's a great thing, though. And like you say, 60 quid a year. I mean, people pay £100 a month for Sky. £100 a month. This is 60 quid a year. You can watch all the tournaments. And there are times when, because there are four or five sports on at the same time, live sports, the snooker's going to miss out on, on the linear Eurosport channel. Shanghai Masters, I think the final, that, that situation has arisen. But it doesn't matter if you've got Discovery Plus. Just watch it on there and you get all the qualifiers. I mean, I know I sound like I am now... <laughs> some sort of advertising salesman I'm not at all I don't. it doesn't benefit me in any way I don't get any, any kickback from it I just think it's good and I think snooker fans like John here if they actually got it would, would agree that it's good but I won't mention it again because it does sound like I'm trying to the next thing I'll be turning up at your door trying to sell you it 
Uh, now, uh, you know, the crucible sort of issue is not going to go away, and we've got uh, another email here, because obviously snooker fans care passionately about this. This is Addy, who lives in Germany. Hello again from Germany, where the discussion about leaving the crucible also is in good flow. Since everyone needs to voice their opinion these days, you might as well read mine too, trying to keep it short. I have to admit, I find the general outrage a little silly at times. I'd wager, wager a fair amount on the fact that Barry Hearn is absolutely delighted with how his words have stirred up things in the community once more. He knows very well, as any good businessman would, that leaving the crucible will in no way bring WST any closer to their goals. A venue with double the seats is in no way guaranteed to sell out over 17 days, no matter where it is. In addition to that, the cost for staging the event, still hypothetical at that venue, will also rise considerably. As much as we like it in Sheffield, it's by far not the most expensive place overall. Try putting on the same event in London, and your costs will probably quadruple. And even if you somehow break, manage to break even or make a small profit from the event, what about the rest of the year? Changing the venue will not further the cause, period. I hope we can all agree that the empty front row seats at the Crucible were a public relations disaster, one can only hope that WST learn from that mistake and move the hospitality seats way back. In my opinion, the damage those empty seats may have done to the sport is immense. If I were a potential sponsor and watched a world semi-final with loads of empty seats in the first three rows, I would not even entertain the thought of putting money into it. Changing to a larger venue with potentially even more empty seats is another disaster waiting to happen. It's not the additional ticket sales that will bring snooker forward. We don't need to discuss that. Barry may not be everyone's cup of tea, but if anything, he's a very savvy businessman. Yes, he should be trying to scare Sheffield Council into thinking WST is leaving so he can negotiate a better deal that's in the interest of his organisation. He knows the tour's getting more money problem will not be solved by changing the venue of one tournament, even if it's the marquee event. The real money is in sponsorship and TV streaming deals. That is the front line WST has to concentrate on. I'm simply not willing to accept that having Julebits as one of its main sponsoring partners is the preferred option of anyone involved. Witnessing all the blunders of WST when it comes to the Apple live scoring, I do understand that IBM prefers to be the official technology partner to Wimbledon, even if they probably could have helped WST a lot on that front. Wimbledon has their umpires and staff outfitted by Ralph Lauren. They have Evian Water and Lavazza Coffee all around the championship, and the list goes on. Yes, the comparison is not fair, but you need to start somewhere. Get into clothing deals, not only for players and referees, but tackle the merchandise side as well. Maybe they already have... All the secrecy about what goes on behind those WST matchroom WPSA doors doesn't help one bit. We can only speculate how hard they are really trying. The thing is, we only see incremental improvement on too few fronts to be reassured of a promising future. Saudi money naturally is a big lure and they will probably get their own tournament, but not the big one. It will have a trophy bigger than the Turkish monstrosity, but you will also see a lot of empty seats. They don't care about the break-even, so that's not a concern for the tour itself. The players will love it because the arena will be in a six-star result with full air conditioning and they can stay for another week after the tournament. Also, the prize money will be just below the World Championship for obvious reasons. It's not going to be the World Championship after all. We all revel in the history of the Crucible, its atmosphere and all-round special feel. Barry Hearn does too. Just show him the clip of him running into Steve Davis's arms in 1981 and all the talk of leaving the Crucible will cease immediately. It's a tactic and it's a good one. Let's hope that it pans out in the end. Having kept it short, as promised, I don't see the World Championship leaving the Crucible. Praise me when I'm right, show me when I'm wrong, and let's just enjoy next year's at the Crucible as if they were the last of them. Keep up the good work. The jokes, maybe, not so much. Well, we'll be coming to that, but thanks, Addy. A great email there, a terrific email. However, I, 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 in the past, it's like Boy Who Cried Wolf, this is. In the past, I agree, I think 
there's been a lot of tactical talk about trying to sort of get a better deal out of Sheffield. But I actually think this time it's not that. I actually think this time there is a sort of feeling within World Snooker Tour that the Crucible actually is no longer appropriate as the venue for the World Championship. And look, there are three options, OK? Past 2027 when the, when the contract's up. It stays at the Crucible. It stays in Sheffield but moves somewhere else. Or it just moves somewhere else. And I think the least likely of those three is probably now that it stays at the Crucible. I think the most likely is number three, that it will go somewhere else. The Royal Opera House has been mentioned already. Um, it took, you mentioned something interesting in that email as well about the, the empty seats because of the hospitality. I mean, literally when that was announced a year ago, that Century Club, I and other people as well said there'll be a problem with empty seats because the hospitality lounge is not in the main arena. Now, World Snooker may say, well, this is one of the issues with the Crucible because you can't have it there. Um, unlike at the Masters where there's more room, you can have the, the suite in the arena and whether people are, are watching the snooker or not, nobody knows, but they've you know, they paid their money and they've come along. Um, as far as I'm aware, it's going to be the same next year, though, so I don't think that, that will have changed. And um, they've made a lot of money on it. They've made a lot of money on it. And again, that's another um, sort of issue because if they can make a load of money at a small venue, then presumably they can make a lot more money at a much bigger venue. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll see. We're going to find out in, in due course. You mentioned that the uh, the sort of secrecy, um, which I think is an issue because a lot of things to trumpet. I mean, there was, there was good news that was put out last week um, about the European Masters. The Eurosport figures in the UK were, were up significantly on last year, which when they were good last year, you'd expect the final to be up because last year's final was a bit of a washout. But overall, really impressive figures. You know, and bear in mind it's still summer. It's not really snooker time. It augurs well for the rest of the season. Um, the problem is we get so much of our sort of perception of how things are going and how people feel about things from social media, which I think has become increasingly um, negative and at times completely unreadable. I mean, there's so many sort of tedious complaints now and, and not enough sort of championing of, of, of the sport. Um, but in the real world. Hundreds of thousands of people are watching snooker on Eurosport um, and just enjoying it. <laughs> just enjoying it, not getting involved in small quibbles and, and complaining. They're just sat watching the snooker. That was good. I'll watch it again tomorrow. And that's that's encouraging, I think, because that's that's the real world. Um, the game is, is very strong, and that's why, I guess, in a way, people feel the crucible. It's outgrown the crucible because... You know, the potential is there to take it to bit, to bigger venues and bigger audiences. Um, anyway, we, we shall see in due course. Now then, uh, let's pause for this week's rip-tickling jokes. OK, so there's three more. If you're new to the podcast, uh, in a bit to sort of um, lighten, the, lighten the mood, I've introduced a joke section. It, to be fair, it's not had the best reaction, but I'm going to persevere with it. We've got three more, all written by me. So here's uh, number one, OK? <clears throat> Number one. Why is being a trampolinist harder than being a snooker player? It has more ups and downs. Trampoline. Okay. Number two. Why was the arachnophobe disadvantaged at playing snooker? They were scared of using the spider. It's a rather obvious one, that, but anyway. Number three. Now, this is a niche joke, um, but uh, it's a niche podcast, so, so who cares? Which player throughout snooker history, has given away the most in penalty points. Okay, which player throughout snooker history has given away the most in penalty points? The answer, Danny Fowler. Danny Fowler. <laughs> uh, 
there we go. There'll be more next week. Uh, we've had a couple of emails about the joke section, actually. He says... This is from Rich. He said, uh, I'm, I'm continuing to love the podcast, keep up the good work. Unfortunately, I'm unable to give any feedback on the Nuremberg sausages. But one thing I co- can comment on is the jokes. I love the new segment and definitely think it has some snooker legs. Pun intended. Was there a pun there? I don't know. Anyway, thank you, Rich. Well, he says, what, a thumbs up there. Uh, Stephen Gab. Now, this was... This is a, this is a reaction to last week's uh, joke section. He says, I'm worried about the chap you said was under arrest for stealing a snooker table. Is there any chance he was framed? <laughs> you see, people are doing their own jokes now. It's, it's not all bad news. Um, changing the subject, Brian McGovern. Uh, I'm enjoying the podcast as ever. I enjoyed the European Masters and happened to see some of it at a relative's house. My cousin's partner made an observation while we were watching it, saying how you can see the score on the screen... Uh, how, how you... I'll start that again. My cousin's partner made an observation while we were watching it, saying, how can you see the score on the screen? It's very small. I do have to go close to the screen to see it. I think it's another issue WST need to look at. I know ITV and BBC graphics are easy to see. I hope this issue can be addressed. We've had an email about that before, Brian, and people have said that. I did pass it on to the powers that be. Um, it, it, I mean, I, I was reading a book last week, and the type was very small, you know, and you kind of think, why? I mean, it's just make make it as accessible as possible. Not everybody obviously has the best vision. Um, so I, this is not a small issue. I, I understand, you know, you want to be able to see the score and, and what's happening. Um, I did feed that on, but we'll see if it makes uh, any difference. I think we can all agree this, this episode's been no good, really. And I, I, I'm not talking about the people who emailed in. They've actually saved it. Um, but uh, anyway, you know, not, not, every, not everyone can be a hit. Um, but uh, the, what we are looking forward to is another week of qualifying, the Wuhan Open and the English Open, and then of course the Shanghai Masters, which is a massive event. Um, Two hundred grand the winner, I believe, and uh, just going to have a real feel of, you know, elitism about it. It's the top sixteen, the, the Chinese wildcards as well. Um, semi-finals are best of nineteen. How about that? I mean, you know, that's sort of proper stuff. Final best of twenty-one, which is a weird length. Uh, but looking forward to that. It's going to be uh, from the 11th of September. And uh, and then, of course, things really do come thicker fast. There's a three-week period with uh, three tournaments, three ranking tournaments back-to-back, British Open, English Open, Wuhan Open. And before you know it, we'll be sort of barrelling into Christmas with all the tournaments. We love the Champion of Champions. Northern Ireland Open, very popular event in Belfast. UK Championship, of course, Scottish Open, Chuta, etc., etc. So uh, busy times. Um, do uh, if you ever thought, oh, I, I'm not going to email. There'll be no chance of it being read out. Believe me, the opposite's true. We'll take anything. I mean, I came close to reading out spam emails earlier. People asking for, you know, bank details for <laughs> to deposit twenty seven million pounds in. So do do e- email. It's snookerscenepodcast at mail dot com. That's snookerscenepodcast at mail dot com. Uh, and uh, any uh, any observations about anything you see in the snooker world and. Uh, be interested to know who people feel will be will be the dominant player this season if there is one. I mean, there isn't always. I mean, Mark Allen, I suppose, was last season, but he didn't win six events. You know, he he, he was in four finals, world semis, etc. But will anyone do what Trump's done recently and, and other players win sort of five or six? It seems unlikely to me. I just think the standard is so high. Even just watching the qualifying, you just see just how good these guys are, and it's very hard to sort of to play to an even higher level than that consistently. So 
it makes it exciting, but can anyone step forward and sort of dominate and, and sort of take the game to everyone else? We'll see. In the meantime, we're members of the Sports Social Network. Uh, lots of podcasts to listen to there. And um, and lots of podcasts, of course, for snooker fans. Better ones than this, let's be honest. And, and God bless everyone else for uh, Shabnam from uh, The Frame. Did a terrific two-part interview with, with Cliff Thorburn, which is worth checking out. And uh, all, all our other friends at the various podcasts, Talking Snooker, 147. Um, and I know there are, there are podcasts in other languages as well, so uh, check them out. Uh, still no World Snooker podcast. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's, as I'm proving, it's very hard to do one. You know, it's very hard to get the uh, resources to do one. Uh, we'll leave it on that rather sour note. Um, as I say, enjoy the rest of the qualifying. And uh, for now, from one of the worst episodes we've ever done, it's goodbye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.